I thought it's, um, it's Easter Sunday today, or Resurrection Sunday, as I say Christine rightly called it. I think it's much better to call it Resurrection Sunday so people know a little bit of what we're on about. But I thought for this family service I'd pick a really you know, joyful topic, um, a really exciting topic that we all love to talk about. And I thought, actually, let's have a really brief think about the topic of death, which, you know, I can see you're all on the edge of your seats, raring to go on this topic. It's not one that we like to talk about, it's one people always try and skirt a bit as well. Like, no one ever likes to say so-and-so has died, it's always they've, they've passed away, they've gone to a better place, they've, they're just the other side of the, I don't know, wall, whatever they want to say, but nobody ever really likes to talk about death. And I think there are two reasons for that. The first one is, death is inescapable. I know that one day, at some point, I'm going to die, and I can't go to Tesco's and buy something off the shelf that'll like, make me live forever. I just can't do it. And the other reason is that it's universal. It happens to everybody at some point. So we can't avoid it, and it happens to everyone. And unfortunately, those of us uh, that are here have probably had to deal with losing somebody in the past. So just recently, I lost my grandpa, and it was really sad. But I know that he's a Christian, so one day I'll see him again. And I think because of those two reasons, because it's inescapable and everyone it happens to everyone, it's universal, death is quite a scary thing for some people. Well, I want to tell you a really brief story. I've got a friend. It's not his real name, but everyone calls him Wilf. He's not called Wilfred or anything like that, but they just call him Wilf. I don't even know why, and neither does the person that introduced me. But he was in the army. He's a Christian. He was in the army, and he got posted out to... Afghanistan. He's been out, he went out a couple of times. He actually came back once, um, having lost a few of his friends. He was driving a Land Rover, and it hit a, a landmine, and he had to have a load of physio, and he had to have his knee partly rebuilt, um, and he lost some of his friends. But when he first went out, when he went out on tour, he was a Christian. He knew Jesus, and he wrote down a prayer for his best friends in the army, like a prayer, and he said to all his friends, he said, look, I'm a Christian. And if ever you're in a situation where you think you might die, say this prayer. And he gave them all a prayer that they could pray. Because they thought, you know, at least if they, if they ask God to forgive them for their sins and sort them out, then he might save them. And they all laughed at him. They thought he was an absolute lunatic. They thought, he's just a bit of a weirdo. But, you know, we'll, we'll let him have his little thing, his Christianity thing. That's his hobby, I guess. But then, a couple of days later, they were joking. And one of them said, oh, have you got your prayer? And one of the others said, no, I've memorised mine, I don't need it anymore. But it's just, you could tell that inside them somewhere there was a little bit of a fear of death that said, it's going to happen and I don't really know what's at the other side. I want to make sure I've got some kind of security. And I thought it was just amazing that his friends, one of them particularly, had gone away and he'd memorised this little prayer. So if he thought, I'm in a situation where I might lose my life fighting, I'm going to say this prayer really quickly and I'll know that there might be some hope for me at the other side. And I think the reason it's so scary is because people don't, People, some of them don't know what's there at the other side of death. But I thought we'd look briefly at two men in the Bible to see what they thought of, how their feelings towards death come along before we get to our piece of paper, which is the highlight of today's service. You better believe it. It is excellent. I'll not big it up too much, but it's amazing. Um, so the first one is the chap Peter. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He'd followed Jesus from the time Jesus called him. He was a fisherman. Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter dropped his fishing nets, got out of the boat, left his family behind and followed Jesus. He gave everything he had to following Jesus. 
He was the disciple that always jumped out first with the first answer, nearly always got it wrong, but he was there. He tried and tried his hardest following Jesus. So many times he did some amazing things. He walked on water after Jesus told him to. You know, he, he was the first person to say that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had an amazing experience until the last week of Jesus' life on earth. Jesus was taken by the Romans. They'd gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and all the Romans and the, the Jewish leaders had come along and they said, we're here to find this Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to arrest him. And Peter says, look, I'm going to stick by you forever, Jesus, whatever happens. And at that point, Peter gets out his sword. I don't quite know why the disciples had a sword, but they did. Chops somebody's ear off. He chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. When we looked at it in growth group the other day, somebody remarked on the fact that he wasn't that brave. He chopped off a servant's ear. He didn't go for one of the Roman soldiers. But anyway, he chopped off one of the servant's ears. And Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. Jesus puts the ear back on. I don't know how. It's just amazing. But then, Peter said to him, look, I'm going to follow you forever. Whatever happens, I'll never disown you or anything. And Jesus says to him, look, by the end of today, you'll have disowned me three times. And Peter just says, that is never, ever going to happen. Don't be ridiculous. I'll never do that. So they take Jesus away. The Romans take him away with the Jews. They put him on trial. And while they take him into a, a back room somewhere... Peter's sort of outside, peering in, trying to find out what's going on, looking around the corner like you would in a cartoon, like that. And there's this little girl there, only like a servant girl, and she says to him, aren't you, aren't you one of that Jesus fellow's lot? And you can just imagine the colour drains out of him, he goes all pasty white, and he says, no, 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 that's, that's not me, he's nothing to do with me, in fact, I've never even heard of this Jesus fella, whoever he is, I don't know who he is. Well, she was only a little girl, and even back then, they, back then, if a girl said something, they said, well, it's probably a load of rubbish, you don't have to listen to her. But he was so scared, that he didn't even want to tell a little servant girl. I mean, servants weren't really listened to, girls weren't really listened to, so a servant girl would have been listened to by nobody. He was so scared. They said, I don't even know him, I've never heard of him, I'm not, I'm not one of his followers, you, you must be mad thinking that. And it happens two more times. And Jesus said to him, before the cock crows, You'll have denied me three times. So Peter denies Jesus twice more. And as soon as he does it, the cock crows. And I think the reason that Peter denies Jesus three times is because he's seen what's happened to Jesus. He's seen that he's been arrested. He's seen he's been taken away. And he knows that if he's put on trial, he's probably going to die. I think Peter's fear is, if I say I'm one of Jesus' lot, they'll do the same to me. They'll take me, and they'll try me, and they'll put me to death just like Jesus. So that's why I think Peter denies Jesus those three times. I also think at the end of when he's uh, been with Jesus for three years, living his life around this one man, saying, look, I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. I'll do whatever you say. I'll go wherever you go. And he sees him taken off by the Romans and the Jews to be killed. All of his hopes and dreams were just like dashed upon the rocks. Everything that he'd lived for, everything he's expecting, must have just gone out from him. He must have been so upset. He thought, three years gone, I could have been in charge of the business by now. But he wasn't, he was just terrified. Well, the second chap that I think we'll have a brief look at in regard to this idea of death is somebody else, because he's the second chap. And he's the chap in the Bible, that the Bible's all about Jesus. 
And the reason I think Jesus has a completely upturned attitude toward death is because through the Bible, when Jesus starts talking to his disciples, so often he says, you know, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to come back to life. And, and they don't get it. And they must say it 20, 30, 40 times. And you can imagine even the bits that aren't written in the Bible, that Jesus kept saying it to them. And you just get this idea that they just missed it every single time, that Jesus says, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back to life. So when he gets taken to the cross, all these people that have conspired against him, they take him up, and as they lay Jesus down and they put the nails in his hands and his feet, the words that Jesus speaks are not what you'd expect. If it was me, I'd have been in tears, squealing, shouting all sorts of cruel things at them. But Jesus just says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's just amazing that someone can go through that suffering, but not curse and swear and get really cross he says father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing they don't get it they're not quite sure what's happening and that i think is partly because jesus knows what's going on he knows that what is on the other side of the grave jesus knew the rest of the story that was going to happen i just want to read you there's a verse or two in the book of hebrews which is towards the end of the bible it's uh, one of the letters that the towards the end of the New Testament. And it's at the beginning of chapter 12. The writer to the Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now this is a bit. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down, at the thr- uh, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's that little bit in that verse where it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Which I think is just amazing, that somebody could know what's going to happen, he knew the punishment that was going to come to him. He was going to get whipped and beaten. He was going to be spat on, have a crown of thorns pushed onto his head. But he says, for the joy set before him, Jesus went through it all. He knew the best was yet to come. Which is just amazing. Anyone could go through any kind of immense suffering knowing that the best is yet to come. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, well what is it? What is this joy set before him? And actually, this joy that is set before him, this best yet to come, It's people like you and me. Jesus says, for the joy set before me, I'm going to endure the cross. Jesus knows that in the future, because of what he does on the cross, there'll be some people with him in heaven. And that's going to bring him so much joy and it's going to bring so much glory to God that Jesus says, you know what? For the joy set before me, which is going to be the saving of people's lives, saving of people's souls, I'm going to go to the cross and die. So Jesus, when he's on the cross... He takes all the punishment for our sin so that we can be with God. Okay, let's just flip back again to the first chap, Peter. So Peter, at first, is terrified of death. Peter sees Jesus, he gets crucified, he's executed, he dies, they put him in the tomb. Three days later, the rest of the story goes, that the women go to the garden to, you know, to find the tomb, to sort of decorate it like they would a gravestone. And they find that the stone is rolled away, there's nobody on guard, and the tomb is empty. 
They're looking around for him thinking, where's, where's Jesus gone? This is the most elaborate game of hide and seek I have ever seen in my life. And then they bump into somebody in the garden who they think is a gardener because they're crying. They can't see through, clearly through their tears. And he says, look, it, it's me. Go and tell the disciples that I've raised back to life. Basically, he's probably thinking, I've told them a million times. I've told them once, I've told them a thousand times I'm going to come back to life. Go and tell them. And then, like, run in there, eyes are drying as they run in, and they go and tell the disciples. And they don't believe it that much, and then they go and meet him. And it's amazing. Well, a bit later on, Jesus spends a few more weeks with his disciples. They have a great time. In fact, just before Jesus goes up to heaven, they have breakfast on the beach. They catch some fish, have a little fire, they cook the food... They eat the food and they have a wonderful time with breakfast on the beach. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, ascends into heaven. He goes up into heaven to be with God. But again, the disciples go into the sort of fearful state. They get a bit worried. So later on, in the next book, after the Gospels, the book of Acts, that tells us the story of the church, they're up in a room. There's a few of them up there. And they're a bit scared. They don't know what is happening. But then something amazing happens. There's a wind that like spins around the room. I don't know what it sounded like. Something like shh, shh. All the papers would have moved and the long hair would have flapped and the beards would have gone all funny. And at the same time, some like little flickers of fire land on people's heads. And then they go out into Jerusalem. And what happens is they all start speaking different languages, which is just really odd. These are people who were terrified a few minutes ago. There's all this funny wind and fire comes around. And then they go out into Jerusalem. And people go, look at them lot. They're speaking all sorts of funny languages. They're pr- I know what it is. That's it. I mean, it is only nine o'clock in the morning. But these people are probably a little bit worse for wear. They've probably been drinking all morning. Well, Peter, who we looked at at first, who was terrified to say to even a little girl that he was one of Jesus' followers, now gets up in the middle of Jerusalem at the temple where a couple of weeks ago they took Jesus, they beat him, they crucified him. A place where Peter before was absolutely terrified. He wouldn't have said boo to a goose. He wouldn't have told anybody he had anything to do with Jesus because of what they might do to him. But because of this amazing thing that happened, the Bible tells it's where God pours out his spirit on his people. Peter gets up and he starts preaching in the middle of Jerusalem about Jesus. A place where before... If he'd done that a few weeks earlier, they would have taken him and they'd have killed him. His attitude has suddenly changed. He's no longer afraid of death. He knows that the best is yet to come. And he stands up and he just basically starts this amazing sermon. And he goes like, you know, what are you on about these people? It's nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. It's like the prophet Joel said hundreds of years ago. God said that in the future I'll pour out my spirit on all people. They'll... You know, they'll prophesy their sons and daughters or see visions and dreams and their old men, they'll do all these amazing things. And during that sermon that Peter preaches, somebody it says, stands up in the crowd and he shouts out, what must I do to be saved? Now that would be a brilliant thing to hear on a Sunday morning. Somebody who's standing up in church going, what must I do to be saved? Well, the moment you've all been waiting for has arrived. This is where you need your piece of paper. This is also where I'm going to prove my lack of classroom teaching skills. So, when the man stands up and shouts, what must I do to be saved? 
basically saying, Peter, how can I get to heaven? What is it I can do so I can be with God forever? That's the question he asks. Right. I have a piece of paper, very similar to yours. Apart from mine's A3 and yours is A4. Um, it's just so you can see it a bit easier. I'm not just showing off. Um, and there's some upstairs. So there's nothing magic. There are no trapdoors. See? And it's not like two pieces in one, but it's just one piece of paper. So the question is, Peter, how can I get to heaven? That's the question. So, if you can copy this, I'll be very impressed. You need to make a fold, but not just any fold, a special one. Okay, so you need it to try and look like that. So you've taken the top, level with the side. Excellent, Poppy. Very good, Joan. Spot on. So, for those of you that haven't got a blackboard or a table, you'll have to just use your initiative. So firstly, what the person might have been expecting in response is, well, you have to go with me a bit in your imagination here. It's a bit like half a mountain. If I had two, it would be like a full mountain. You could imagine him saying, look, you've got to work really, really hard. It's really difficult work climbing up a mountain. Peter could have just said, look, you've got to work really, really hard. You've got to read your Bible all the time. You've got to pray all the time. That'll get, that'll really impress God and that'll please him. But that's not what Peter says at all. So he doesn't say, you have to work really hard. That's not what he says. So, next fold, top corner, down to here. That's the top corner, down to that corner. Spot on, Poppy. Close, like that. So the next thing you might have expected Peter to say was he might have said, what you've got to do is we're going to set up loads of these little groups in different towns. We'll we'll let them meet somewhere and talk about Jesus. We'll call them churches. And if you go to church, because this looks a bit like a building now, which will be rubbish on the tape, but never mind. This looks like a building. Peter could have said, look, if you go to church all your life, never miss a Sunday, unless you're on holiday, or you're you know, ill, something like that, then you'll be with God forever. But he doesn't say that. He says, nothing of the sort. Right then, next fold. You've got to fold it in half, that way. Uh, that, that doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's like that. Either way, it doesn't matter. Inside or outside, makes no difference. You'll have to wait and see. Now the next thing that you could have thought Peter could have said is he could have said, what you've got to do is you've got to do something absolutely amazing. You've got to make something so impressive that God will think you're wonderful and think, oh, he's good, I'll have him. You've got to invent the rocket. That sort of thing. That's what it is. It's a rocket ship. Peter could have said, you've got to invent something amazing, like a rocket ship. But he doesn't say anything of the sort. Now, there's two final folds that you need to make, and it is to put the wings on your aeroplane. So make them nice and even, so they just 
The top goes to the bottom then. So you should have, if you fold them out, you should have an aeroplane. There's no point throwing it, they don't fly, they're awful. But what Peter could have said, is he could have said to the person that says, Peter, how can I get to heaven? He could have said, what you've got to do, is you've got to get on a plane, fly to the other side of the world, and tell people all about Jesus. If you tell enough people about Jesus, God might pick you to go to heaven. But Peter says nothing like any of that. Peter says, for all those things I've just told you, that they're all a heap of rubbish. Okay? That is just rubbish. So, follow very carefully. Peter would have told you that that is all rubbish. So you've got a nice straight rip right down the middle of your aeroplane. Oh, yep, yeah, I'm afraid that is what you have to do. And it's a bit tough in the middle, but rip straight down the middle, and it'll fall into lots and lots of pieces. <laughs> but I tell you what the one thing that Peter would have said is the only way you can get to heaven is through the cross thank you sir right ok so I'm hope- hopefully some of you will have found the cross in the middle of all of that. Excellent. We're there. Yep. Yeah. Ah. So there's a cross somewhere and there's lots of other bits and pieces. Right. Joan read to us from Luke's Gospel. Joan read to us from the Gospel of Luke about the crucifixion account of Jesus right it's probably easier at this point if you just follow along and practice when you get home and I've realised at some point I'll probably push the blackboard off in the bible we hear that Jesus is taken outside the city of Jerusalem and is crucified on a hill that is a small hill but it represents the hill outside the city Next to Jesus were crucified two other men. Two robbers were crucified either side of Jesus. Well, on top of the cross, Pilate had written a sign that said. King of the Jews. In three different languages so anybody that walked past could see that Jesus was the King of the Jews. Next. There was a Roman soldier that stood guard with his spear in his hand to make sure that nobody came to take them down from the cross. And lastly... These two little squares represent the dice that they'd have used to cast lots for Jesus' clothing. So it said the soldiers cast lots to decide who it was that was going to take Jesus' clothes, because one of them was seamless. 
which meant that it was valuable. So, that's our picture. Still only sort of partly answered the question, I guess. So the only way to get to heaven is through the cross. But let's just go through the story a little bit further to see what else we can find out from our bits of paper. When Jesus was crucified, in Luke's Gospel we hear the account of one of the people on the cross, let's call him this one, looked away from Jesus and he mocked him and he said, look, if you are really the Messiah, why don't you just save yourself? Why don't you get down from the cross, save yourself, and while you're at it, why don't you save us too? He just mocked him on the cross. And the Bible is very clear about one thing. The Bible says that in life, there's no sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus. It's, you're either for him or you're against him. And that man was clearly against him. And Jesus, when he was speaking, he talked an awful lot about the result of not being for Jesus. Jesus says basically, if you're against me, if you don't accept my suffering on the cross, when you see God, you stand before him, God's going to say, your suffering's not been paid for, your sins have not been paid for in Jesus. The only place you can end up is hell, where I'm going to pour out my wrath on you for eternity. But the other chap who was on the cross, the chap who was there, he was looking at Jesus and he said, he said, look, why, why are you mocking him? And eventually Jesus said to him, look, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Jesus does say, though, that if, like the guy who looked at him and said, you know, look, remember me when you're in your father's glory, he said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. The answer to the question that was shouted out to Peter when he was given that sermon, what must I do to be saved? The answer that Peter gives is you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of that is you get life forever. And that's one of the many reasons I believe that God invented A4 paper. So I just want to finish with one, well, two verses from the book of 1 Corinthians. From chapter 15. Because Peter's life was turned round. Before Jesus died, rose to life, and when the Spirit was poured out in him, he was terrified of death. After he had the Spirit of God in him, he couldn't care less what anyone thought of him or was going to do to him, because he knew that there was something better. And in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul says basically the same thing. Towards the very end of the chapter, uh, from verse, uh, halfway through verse 40, uh, 54, Paul says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in, labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul basically finishes towards the end of that letter saying, look, death has no hold over you. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to get life forever with him. It's going to be amazing. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what people do to you, because the greatest enemy that people think they have, if they don't know Jesus, is death. But if you know Jesus... The sting of death has been taken out. It has no power over you. 
you don't need to fear death any longer. So I thought I'd share that with you this Easter. And we're going to, well, I'll pray and then we'll sing our final hymn. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, that we can remember what it means to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for his life. Father, we thank you that as we remembered last week, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this week, Father, we thank you that he gave up his life, that he was nailed to the cross, and that he died. Father, we thank you he was put in the tomb, but three days later he rose again. Father, we thank you that as Jesus rose again, that shows us that you're completely satisfied with the offering that he gave of his life. And Father, we thank you that if we put our faith and our trust in him, that you'll raise us up again to be with you forever. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' good name. Amen.